0: Welcome into The Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter.
1: All right, you're back here for another episode of The Warehouse. I believe we're calling this episode number three. This is your host, Brandon Warren. I'm joined, as always, by Bob Harkin. Bob, do we got you on the line? I am here. Can you hear me? Actually, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess I kind of, uh, kind of messing with the people over the last two weeks who probably found out we've had a little bit of technical difficulties. But I think we got those ironed out. We're ripping and ready to go here, right out of the gates. And looking forward to a fun show. Um, again, this is the warehouse, and I'm your host, Brandon Warren. Bob Harkins joining me as he does every week, and we do have a fun guest today. He's a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, the creator of Zips, grew up a Baltimore Orioles fan, and is an ESPN baseball analyst. That's right, Dan Zimborski is joining the show today. Bob, i got to say, I'm pretty excited to talk to Dan.
2: Yeah, definitely. Me too. That's two weeks, two great guests. Uh, who's our booker? They're doing a great job.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Big thanks to Baltimore Sports and Life. Big thanks to Chris Stoner for giving us this opportunity i know for me specifically doing some writing but also this podcasting bob you're just doing the podcast thing with baltimore sports and
2: life right now is that right right now yeah yeah that's what i'm doing i'm uh i've got wearing a lot of different hats um working on on um uh, i'm out here in los angeles working on some dodger stuff as well and uh, doing some nfl writing doing lots of different stuff so but how could i pass up the chance to uh be your sidekick here Oh
1: man, yeah. I, I too am wearing a lot of different hats. In fact, right now I'm wearing a Colorado Rockies hat. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 I wear a lot of different hats in a lot of different walks of life, which is cool. You are working. You, you mentioned NFL stuff. That's today's pigskin, right?
2: Yeah, part of the FanRag Sports Network. I believe you're you're doing some today's knuckleball work, right? Yep,
1: yep. Other part of that family. So kind of fun to be able to cross promote work. We've got Chris telling us to promote everything that we're working on. So right now I'm, I'm penning uh, I'll hand in later today, a defense of the current twins roster. As you might believe with the team that's eight and 20, it's tough to defend a team uh, and how it's constructed. That's lost that many games, but I think I got a pretty good defense of, of that. What are you working on for today's pigskin right now?
2: Oh, I filed a story this morning on um, the, the Dallas Cowboys plan to not put Jalen Smith on the injured reserve list. Um, I don't oh, know wow. if this is the audience, the audience but uh, yeah, they're going to hold a roster spot for him because they think he's going to be ready for the playoffs. So to me, that's just, that's just t- typical Jerry Jones making the, the <laughs> another reason to pay attention to his team all year to see, like, how's Jalen Smith coming back, you know? So,
1: well, not so, to derail um, that too far, but I did see a funny mock draft today, Todd McShay. Doing 2017 mock drafts already, and he's got the Cowboys at pick, like, number 24, taking Mitch Leidner, quarterback from the Minnesota Golden Gophers, which has sent Minnesota fans into an uproar where I'm from. And I just I, I thought that was funny. I just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Dak Prescott isn't the quarterback of the future, like they said. But uh, if they take Mitch Leidner, I guarantee the state of Minnesota will be laughing at the state of Texas for a very long time. <laughs>
2: Well, well, maybe uh, Stephen Jones can talk Jerry Jones out of that pick, you know, yeah, like no he did kidding. with Johnny, we'll Johnny yep. Manziel. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, bullet dodge there. So for today's show, we'll be talking <laughs> about Chris Tillman's start. I, I did recommend Chris Tillman in my Fangraphs column on Friday, my, my Rotographs, which is part of Fangraphs' family column. I do the, the two-start starters, and with Tillman going on Tuesday, he should get a second start here at the end of the week. Did a nice job. Uh, against the the Yankees in his last start, he's got back-to-back starts with nine strikeouts. So we'll, we'll break down him a little bit. Talk about J.J. J. Hardy's injury. I think if if fans had thought there would be any player that would throw this infield into a tizzy with an injury, I don't know that J.J. Hardy would have been at the forefront of that discussion. But it's it's definitely shaking some things up in this Orioles infield. And then again, yeah, we'll we'll invite Dan Zimborski into the Covenant here to talk. A number of different things. He's he's recently joined the BBWAA, which is an organization I would love to be in. And, uh, you know, he's always got Dips Talk for us, which is a fun projection system that he's created. And I don't know, we we got a whole laundry list of things to get to him, uh, get to with him. Let me catch myself here. Uh, But we'll bring him in here about maybe 20 after the hour, which which will be fun. Uh, So, you know, first things first, you know, we have Chris Tillman. Uh, Basically, if you were to look at this. This Orioles rotation, he's kind of been the rock for them so far. You're talking about a 2.81 ERA, more than a strikeout per inning. 2-1 uh, two, two, ERA, a 2.63 fielding independent pitching, or fifth if you prefer. He's obviously looked quite good through six starts. What has been your diagnosis of his start so far, Bob?
2: Well, in a couple things we've noticed. One uh, is his velocity is up slightly. His average fastball velocity is about 92, as opposed to two years ago he was under 91. So that's been sort of a a trend that I I guess is good. You know, it's not that you have to throw hard, but but when you the harder you throw, the the more able you are to make to get away with certain things. Um, the other thing, the thing that really stuck out to me with him so far this year is his his home runs are down. He's allowed one home run this year and his home run to fly ball ratio is 2.9%, which is his career rate is 10.8%, almost 11%. So he's well below that. Now, whether, whether his velocity increase has something to do with it, is he getting more pop-ups as opposed to guys squaring it up or I, you know, I'm not sure about that. What, What do you, do you have a take on that?
1: Well, uh, Honestly, I haven't broken it down in, in that respect, but I, what, I, what I feel when I dig into his like, game log is that he's really picking up steam as the season has gone along. You know, I mentioned that he's got more strikeouts than he has innings pitched. That's 33 and 32 innings, so it's not by a huge margin by, by any stretch of the mind. We're not talking about, a, you know, Jose Fernandez who went into yesterday to start with 40 strikeouts in 28 innings. But we are talking about a guy who in his last two starts spanning 13.2 innings, has 18 strikeouts. He's gone over the hundred pitch mark three times this season, and that's in his last three starts. I feel like he's picking up steam and might be on to something here. Where you know at the beginning of the year, this whole rotation was kind of sputtering, and Giovanni Gallardo was supposed to be like the rock. He's now on the shelf. I think he's done a nice job of picking up the you know it, it, taking the baton from Giovanni Gallardo and saying, okay, you stay on the shelf for a while. i I'm, I'm gonna be the guy that locks this down for a while. Again, too, Kevin Galsman has looked decently good in his two starts. He's going in the series finale uh, against the Yankees today. But I think he's. I think Tillman has done a nice job, just picking up steam and you know maybe being what this rotation wasn't sure it had or was hoping to get out of Gallardo. What are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I th- I agree. I think he has to be that guy if this team is going to go anywhere. In my in my opinion and. And you've got to like his last two starts, too. Um, not not just the strikeouts versus innings pitch, but the fact that he's been pitching innings, like a lot of innings. <laughs> Seven innings in his last start, and uh, what do he go, six and two-thirds the start before? And that, more than anything, is what this team needs. I mean, you, you've you got a great bullpen back there. You don't want to wear them out. So Yeah, the got saying, it. Only
1: thing better than a – I was gonna say the only thing better than a good bullpen is a rested bullpen, and if you can pair those things together, it really makes it easier for Buck to to mix and match late in games when this is a team that's yeah. gonna to need to extract multiple or as many wins as possible out of this roster in a in a very tight East division this year.
2: Yes, agreed completely. So so I mean I think no go ahead. If he can keep those innings up, you know, if he can go six into the seventh Every every game or close to every game, and then also keep that home run rate down. You're looking at maybe he could finally be the ace that you know that they were hoping for when they they traded for him. What was that five years ago from Seattle?
1: Yeah, and I I think the the most impressive part too of his his start is he's got three starts with double digit swinging strike rates too. You know he's he's working through some things where he's. Um, I think he's got like a 10.9% swinging strike rate. you got to be pretty impressed with that, too. That's that's above league
2: average. Yeah. Yeah. you got to like it. Maybe this guy's finally being the ace. And let me correct myself on that. That trade was a lot longer ago than I thought. That was 2008. So it's about time. It's about time, Chris.
1: It feels like it was only five years ago, and I like to believe things are not as far a go at maybe my mind remembers. So I was I was right yeah. there with you. Now, the one thing I want to bring up here is uh, I wrote an article for Baltimore Sports and Life on Tuesday about Dylan Bundy. And when you talk about this bullpen being kind of a lockdown bullpen, he kind of becomes, I think, an afterthought in that in spite of his pedigree, you're looking at a guy who so far thrown 10 innings, has three strikeouts. So he struck out three of a possible 46 batters has only allowed three runs, but I just, he, he did, he does not look the part of a guy who's got a big future. And so I just kind of wrote about the, I called it the conundrum, but uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a situation where I'm not sure what they can do with him going forward, whether it's uh, showcasing for a trade, just ride it out. Uh, what's your read on the Dylan Bundy situation?
2: You know, I, you know, this is – that's a great point. This is very – this is a tough situation the Orioles are in. And I think Joe Sheehan uh, talked about this last week as well, in that he's out of options, right? So they can't, they can't right. send him down. They can't send him down. They, they don't really have a spot for him. They're not going to start him. And so how do they showcase him? And in a, The bullpen's deep anyway. It's not like they're going to make him the closer right. or, or a main setup man. So how do you showcase him for a trade? Do you just kind of hold on to him you know, and let him pitch? I mean, he's getting reasonably good results. I mean, despite the fact that he's not striking anybody out. But, yeah, they're in a tough spot here. I'm not sure what you do with him. What would you come up with?
1: Well, uh, honestly, I think it was more of a shrug emoji when I was finished because, honestly, when you when you come down to it, you know, even with Britain on the shelf the last few days, it's not like Bill Bundy's anywhere close to the, the pile when it comes to, you know, working for saves or even late inning stuff. If you, if you segregate it to just right-handed arms, you know, Britain's the lefty, you've got Brad Brock ahead of him. You got Michael Givens ahead of him. And of course, of course, of course, Darren O'Day. Those are three mm-hmm. guys that it's virtually impossible for him to leapfrog from a, as a logistical standpoint in any way, shape or form. So if you've got Dylan Bundy throwing the fourth inning of an eight, one game, you're not really making him look like a guy that you highly value, but at the same time you can't, in a year where the margins are so tight, top to bottom in this division, you can't really give Bundy significant run in, say, the eighth inning of a tie game even. And then when I looked
2: Mm -hmm.
1: prior to writing the article, he'd only worked twice all season in games where the Orioles were ahead or tied. And that was like the first two games of the season. The first one was against the Twins. And I think the second one was against the Rays. So honestly, uh, I think they're just stuck. You know, you can't you can't give up on him, and it's not necessarily that anybody's going to beat down the door for his job as a long guy. You know, Vance Worley could be that guy, but you could you, Worley's five years older than Bundy. You know, you you definitely do whatever it takes to keep Bundy in your stable at the expense of Worley, whether it's releasing Worley, trading Worley in a in an emergency mm-hmm. situation. You have too many bodies for roster spots. So you know, honestly, I think you just hold him. You know, like he, he, he's a you know if you're playing. Coke or whatever, it's a hold. And I don't think you can do anything except let him pitch his way to whatever role he's going to get to or let him wither out of the league. Because at this point, any kind of deal that you make is going to be selling low on whatever potential he has left. Now, could he be, a, you know, somebody asked me, could he be a piece in a trade for Ryan Braun? Well, Ryan Braun, if the Orioles aren't on his no trade clause, yeah, Ryan Braun would make sense, but I just don't think that there's any kind of value. there's a Brewers, the Brews are a team that could use Dylan Bundy. Don't get me wrong, but they're not going to value Braun. Maybe I said that wrong. The 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 Brewers are a team that could really use Dylan Bundy, or that would have room for a guy like Dylan Bundy. But they're definitely not going to view him in the same vein as they are Braun. And that's that's not enough to get a deal done in my in my estimation.
2: Right, and they don't. You know, and Orioles are pretty thin anyway, with as far as trade assets go. Right, so yeah, I mean. Maybe what you try to do is slip him through waivers and then send him down you know then send him down the that way. You know no, i means- i mean slipping through waivers if he gets through then you can send him down with his agreement oh, the, right
1: the revocable, yeah, the revocable one. right
2: right, okay. so, and then convince him you know a hey, you know it, it's a lot of stuff would have to happen for that to work, like for one, you'd have to have no one claim him. And then you'd have to get him to agree to go down and, you know, say, hey, we want you to get more prominent innings down in the minors or something like that. But and I, feel like I don't that, know. That seems think, like a – I would think somebody would take a chance on him, you know, and claim it.
1: I absolutely think that. And I feel like the, tying him to a big league contract is the the compounding issue when he was drafted is, you know, even as a young guy, he looked like he was on the, the fast track to, to stardom or at least to a big league role regularly. And then, you So in arm issues and service time issues that kind of complicate each other in that respect. And it's, yeah, it's a tough spot to be in, but you know, the O's, the O's I think had to know it was possible going into it. When you take a picture that's that young, there's just red flags and then you give them a major league deal besides, you know, it's the same thing that happened. I think with, with Andrew Miller back in the day when he was drafted, correct me if I'm wrong, drafted by the Marlins. And then he went to the Tigers. Then he went to the Red Sox. Now the Yankees. Am I missing any? Was he with the O's for a while?
2: Hmm. Andrew Miller. Uh, that'll take some research. I know I'm missing some going to make me that... well, I thought he was drafted by the yeah, Tigers, well... actually.
1: Maybe he was drafted by the Tigers, and then yeah, he was traded to the Marlins. That's that's how it is. That's right. Because I think okay. they signed minor league deals with Miller, and then that Porcello was Porcello slipped in the draft because he wanted to a major league deal too, and I think that was the whole situation there. But anyway, it's really complicated the Dylan Bundy situation to the point where you kind of shot yourself in the foot giving him a big league deal, but if that's what it took to secure a talent of that level, you know, number four, I think it was number four overall draft pick, that's what you got to do. You know, that's just the cost of doing business.
2: Right. Yeah. It's tough.
1: So, well, what... (laughs) One other thing we wanted to talk about before we jumped to our guest, uh, we'll have Dan Zemborski on here, I think very soon is the is the Hardy injury and kind of the fallout of that, fell the ball off his foot over the weekend and is out six to eight weeks. That's a, that's a huge chunk of time, even in a big league season where they play every day. Uh, you're talking probably, what, 30, let's see, probably about 55 or 60 games he's going to miss here.
2: Yeah, the, this is, you know, this might not seem like a big deal to the Orioles. You know, losing losing a guy who's you know he doesn't hit it, He hasn't been hitting a ton, but this is a this is a big injury. Um, six to eight weeks of a veteran shortstop who's a good shortstop. Who may you know he's above average. What did he? Uh, I had some notes here. He was fourth in in Major League Baseball in UZR for one hundred and fifty. Um, he was fifth in that stat last year, so it's not like you this is a small sample size reading. He's he's good. He's a good defensive shortstop above average. And they're going to lose him for a long time. And it's, you know, I'm, you know, it looks like Manny Machado is going to get time at shortstop. And I I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Manny Machado will be perfectly fine at shortstop, but the, you know, Mm -hmm. you got to wonder about the, the domino effect of, you know, then who plays third. How's, how's it affected the defense overall on the infield? Um, not to mention, you know, you know, it, it's hard to quantify, but I believe he is viewed as a leader on that team as a, as a good clubhouse guy. And, uh, and he can hit a little too. It's not like he's incompetent with the bat.
1: And so the last couple of days with Machado starting at short, it's been Ryan Flaherty at third base. I know Flaherty got a little bit of run at short at various times this year too, but now, I wonder if, and we had talked about this off the air, and, you know, Jimmy Paredes is due back pretty quickly. If you look at his career numbers, he's kind of been one of those guys who jumps all around, like a little bit of a Steve Pierce guy. But he's played more third base than any other position in his big league career. 9.27 fielding percentage. Again, fielding percentage will lie to you. It will lie to your face. But 9.27 for a fielding percentage, man, that, that still gives you that cold stare where you're like, can we really stomach this? even with Machado at short and Machado might need a little bit of an adjustment period. Obviously was regarded as a good defensive shortstop when he was young, fantastic defensive third baseman. But, you know, there's going to be a situation where that might be a difficult transition. And then you compound that with maybe Paredes over there. Uh, He's on a rehab stem. I think he's due back pretty quickly here uh, reading the tea leaves a little bit, but honestly, I don't know what the, the vision is here. I know that when I had Chris on Midwest swing, which is my podcast on the cold Omaha podcast network, he had talked about thinking mm-hmm. that Jonathan Scope could play third base, has the arm for it, so I't I know I don't know what the the plan is here as far as third base uh, moving moving forward.
2: Yeah, I don't either. There's lots of options well, there.
1: You know let's I also a, wonder sorry said, let's take, Dan let's take a pause quick. Our, our guest is is in the queue. We'll take a quick pause, we'll bring him in, and then we'll talk a little bit about J.J. Hardy. How does that sound?
0: Sounds
2: great. Let's do it.
0: Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter.
1: All right, you're back with us on the Warehouse, episode number three, Brandon Warren here with Bob Harkins, and we welcome into the fold, is own Dan Zimborski. Dan, how are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Can you hear me? Good, Dan. We can absolutely hear you. I, uh, Dan and I have spoken recently. He was actually on my podcast, Midwest Swing, that I do here in Minnesota, but uh, great to have you on the show and looking forward for some some Orioles talk. Dan, you ready to get after it? So, we were talking about before, before we brought you on about the J.J. J. Hardy injury. And, you know, again, it, it's, it's not surprising, but, you know, that, that a J.J. J. Hardy injury throws this defense into a bit of a tizzy is, is, is really interesting because now, you know, you're looking at Manny Machado moving from third to short. You have an opening at third base. I think you've got Jimmy Paredes coming back pretty soon. You've got Scope at second, Davis, obviously, at first. What's your read on this situation, and what do you think is the best course of action moving forward to, you know, uh, fix this in the in the medium term? You know, 68-week injury is not short term. What, what would be your path to fixing this?
3: Well, the Orioles don't have a lot of great options because as much as I've been an advocate of Manny Machado being a shortstop for essentially mm-hmm. years now I've been yelling for this, uh, as much as I've been an advocate for that, the Orioles aren't really – Constructed to have Machado as a shortstop because their third base options aren't that great uh, Ryan Flaherty I mean they have him at third he's probably the most practical option I mean they have scope but I mean he's at second and and really Paredes is not really a third baseman he's played some but he was pretty lousy at it uh, so I think they're really just going to have to go with Flaherty at third for, for the time being I think
2: that's probably the best option unfortunately Dan, what do you think about, you know, let's say Hardy is on the the early side of things, six weeks, you know, and then he's back. Is he, isn't he facing basically spring training at that point? At what point, even when he does come back, can, can Orioles expect him to be, you know, up to speed? Well, it really depends on the
3: on the progress of the injury because really – Teams lose players all the time. They come back okay as long as they're healthy. That's not the biggest concern. He'll have a rehab stint, I'm sure. Uh, so he'll be, he'll be back to game speed, whatever that is right now for him. Uh, that, that, that really isn't my biggest worry. I think really the Orioles are just going to have to muddle through this unless they're willing to start looking at trades, but teams don't really look at that this early in the season unless they're really desperate.
1: How, how much does this hurt having a ground ball staff and a, a vacuum cleaner there at short? You know, is this, is this one of those situations where it's going to be blatantly obvious or it's going to be one of those secondary things that will loom pretty large but, but fans might not be able to pick up on until well after the fact?
3: I think it's a secondary issue because I don't think Manny Machado is going to be a bad shortstop. He's not going to be as good at short as he is at third. Uh, and Flaherty is not really going to be a bad third baseman. Uh, if they start st- sticking Paredes in there at some point, uh, that, that, then that would be a problem but I don't think it would be that big a deal because, as I I said, neither of them are bad defensive players at their position uh, at Machado or Flaherty. I mean, we haven't really seen Machado have an extended period, uh, but I expect him to be fine. Uh, So that's not the biggest worry. I mean, it does hurt in that it is a defensive downgrade, but I don't think it's a serious one.
1: Well, Dan, I had you on Midwest swing here a couple weeks ago Uh, uh, talks about going into the BBWA. First of all, congrats. Second of all, how how is that treating you here through the first uh, four or five weeks of the season? Oh well, uh, I've always been I've always had
3: support of, of most of the other writers. I just never had my card.
1: Uh, it, it affects
3: me less than, than some other people might because the fact is, working for ESPN, I don't really ha- never really had a problem getting credentialed when I wanted to. But there mm-hmm. is a benefit towards just showing up at a park, flashing a badge, and getting in. There's, there's that flexibility. And that's, that's cool and everything. Uh, but it's, it's not like I was struggling and I was turned away. I, I think some of the bloggers that get, that get in, I think it's a bigger deal for them because they don't have that easy conduit for the access that they need to do their job all the time. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, it is cool because, I mean, there is a measure of acceptance. And at times the Writers Association has been slow to kind of, you know, accept, you know, internet writers, even ones at large sites. Uh, but they're generally very progressive on this issue nowadays. Uh, Derek Gould, who's the current president, is really good at his job. He's a real good advocate for these things. Uh, and, and people like him have, have really pushed the Writers Association kind of into the 21st century. Actually, I'd say they finally pushed him into the latter half of the, ni- of the 20th
2: century, but that's not <laughs> a here nor there. <laughs> Yeah, Bob Harkins here. Does that, does that sort of depend on what team you're dealing with, too? Because I feel like I'm out here in Los Angeles. So I feel like the Dodgers are rather progressive on that front. There's a lot of uh, bloggers in the press box and in the clubhouse as well.
3: Yeah, it, it does vary from organization to organization. Uh, if, if I needed credentials for something before this, I mean, I could get them eventually, but sometimes it was easier than others. Uh, if, I, if I didn't work for ESPN, it would be trickier. Uh, I'm not going to lie because they do take larger media outlets more seriously. Uh, I mean that, that's just a natural thing. Uh, but there there is a benefit towards being in the association because then you're you're guaranteed to access essentially, and that's pretty big for a writer. It, it's especially for the guys who are more focused on the day to day news. I'm not quite as focused. I'm not really a beat guy. I'm I'm a columnist, but still mm-hmm. it, it's it's a very helpful
1: thing for my job. So. So you're in the Cincinnati chapter, if I'm not mistaken. What, what has it been like getting to know the writers there? And do you hobnob a little bit with the visiting writers? Because I know, for me, that's, that's a big part, too. Is it's, I, don't, I don't know if I call it a thrill, but I like to get to meet the visiting writers to, to match a face to the columns that I read on Twitter or on, on, the, on various platforms.
3: Oh, it, it's fun to, uh, to do that. Now, of course, press boxes, I mean, it's, it's a working environment. So I'm not going, hey, yo, yeah, what's going on? But it, it is it is fun to to catch up with some of the people. Like I saw Matt Snyder a couple of weeks ago. I had never actually met Matt Snyder before, so that was that was pretty nice. Uh, we we had some barbecue and he got some uh, Italian beef, which he said was okay because it was Cincinnati Italian beef for Chicago. Uh, but no, it it, it is fun. Uh, I mean, I did know most of the writers already in Cincinnati, so it's not that big a change. Uh, but it is it is nice, and uh, I may... ESPN can use me more for these kinds of game coverage type things because there's not that extra bureaucratic red tape.
1: Uh, I've never met, met Matt Snyder, but I did meet that doggone Dave Brown at the All Star game last year. So you win some, you lose some, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, I
1: haven't met Dave Brown. I'd like to meet Dave Brown too. He's
2: a good guy. Really is. He's a funny Twitter Twitter guy. I know that. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: he's one of he's one of our uh, baseball Twitterverse. Snarky sarcasm gang that we have, you know that click.
2: He's great, yeah. but he but it's so lighthearted with that guy. He's great.
1: I think I'm pretty lighthearted too. I just get no. Emotional. I didn't
2: say you were I'm not here to I, offend you, kid.
1: I just get emotional <laughs> when the Hall of Fame
3: starts coming out, and there's, some, and there's <laughs> terrible ballads and I wanna I wanna punch the sun
1: or something. <laughs> so when it, when it comes to oh, go ahead, go ahead, Bob.
2: No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're up.
1: Well, when it comes to fast starts, Dan, you know you're looking at a couple different guys on this Orioles roster. I think everybody believes Manny Machado's got the chops to, you know, maybe not maybe not sustain a, a, an 1100 OPS, but you know, be one of the very best players in the the non-Trout uh, con, uh, contingency in the American League. But with Mark Trumbull's start, what are you making of that right now? In fact, at one point, he was the only Orioles player without with a stolen base, which I found funny. Then I realized it was Kurt Suzuki who he stole on. But now, what are you making of his start so far? And do you view maybe him being a, an Orioles Park at Camden Yard darling or just off to a fast start that he can't come close I to, al- to sustaining? I
3: always like when you guys ask me or, when, or anyone asks me about the players I was high on doing well. Not the players I wasn't high on doing well. So I, I appreciate <laughs> that. It, it warms my heart. You bet. Uh, but gonna make it look some good. It was someone – I was, I was pushing Trumbo in, like, fantasy pieces or mock drafts because Trumbo is a type of player who was kind of built for Camden Yards. Uh, you look at his skill set, it's, it's, it's similar to that Nelson Cruz skill set. Nelson Cruz did very well in Camden. Uh, I think Trum- I always thought Trumbo, he's, if you look at his plate discipline and stats, he has improved year after year. Uh, now, he hasn't improved to the sense that he's going to be a 333 hitter that's that's just kind of silly. That's not going to happen. But he has improved as a player, and you and you kind of look for that. Uh, he's not going to be uh, an MVP candidate or anything, but he is going to hit 30 home runs. He's going to have good offensive numbers. Hopefully, the defense won't drag those too far down, uh, and he'll he'll probably make some fantasy teams winners this year because he is going to continue to have a lot of RBI. Uh, he'll be among the league leaders for sure because. That's just a skill set and and lineup he's in. Uh, so I'm a fan of Trumbo. Obviously, he can't keep this up. He's not going to have what a nine seventy something OPS, but he, he's going to have a good season. And and he is someone that the Orioles fans should like quite a bit.
2: Uh, on the sort of the flip side, there, Adam Jones and Pedro Alvarez not off to very hot starts. Here, combined two home runs between them. What do you think is going on there? And where do you think those two are going to end up?
3: Well, I think Adam Jones will be fine in the end. I never really that concerned about a, a, a player of his level having a bad month because it happens. There's still a lot of pretty terrific players with pretty poor stats. So I'm not, I'm not overly upset by that. Pedro Alvarez, he has come around a bit. Uh, I, I don't really think he's enough of a plus, but the Orioles have him and they're playing him and they're going to
2: see what happens. do you, do you think, 50- When you look... Up uh, 50, 55 home runs between those two by the end of the year? Over or under except, on that?
3: It could be. Pedro Alvarez, I mean, he's not uh, an amazing all-around player, but he does hit home runs. Uh, so, I mean, he might hit 230 with his 30 home runs and, and <laughs> might have a 310 on base percentage or something, but he, he will, in the end, hit for power.
1: Are, are you on board with Alvarez in that park? Because, honestly, as soon as he was, non, as soon as he was non-tendered, And, you know, you kind of put the pieces together. And, you know, he sits on the market for a while, and you kind of get the feeling like the O's are are just waiting for the price to come down, but you see their need. I thought, you know what, that's a good fit. Then you break down park factors and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you can DH him, if you can get him off his feet for 95% of the game, you got a chance to have a real nice hitter here. Do you you buy into that? Do you think that this is a good park for him and and that DH is a good role for him? Or is there something there to the idea that –
3: DH in this park is a good fit for him. But the problem sure. is the Orioles already had Mark Trumbo. So you're not really adding a DH because you're – when you add a DH in Pedro Alvarez, you're pushing another DH into the field. So signing Alvarez has a significant defensive uh, negative to the team simply because they already had a DH. Uh, I, I, I don't think that he's the best fit for this roster. Uh, because of the existence of Trumbo and Rymel and Kim. Uh, but I think himself will be fine. It's just not the best roster fit, even though it is a park
1: fit. If if you could do it over again, do you let Trumbo DH, let Kim play in the outfield every day, or do you sign someone like Austin Jackson? I, I mean, they already obviously were targeted, targeting Dexter Fowler, which would have been a nice grab for them, but... If you could do it over again, do you say forget it to, to Alvarez and and sign Jackson, or do you just let the guys in place run free? Because, again, too, on the bench is Nolan Reimold, who's had a pretty, uh, off to a pretty good start. Again, not, not a great sample size, but, you know, how would you do it differently if you had been in charge, if you were Duquette in, say, January?
3: Well, I was a big advocate for Dexter Fowler. I talked about that quite a bit. Uh, I, I thought they, that a uh, – uh, a, a Kim Jones Fowler outfield would be really good with, with Trumbo. It doesn't need a hitter. That would have been my first option. Uh, Austin Jackson wasn't quite as exciting simply because one of the benefits of Austin Jackson is he can play a credible center field. And the Orioles do have Adam Jones. And even if, if Austin Jackson is a better center fielder, they're not going to put him in center field and push Jones to right field. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do think that. They should be getting more out of Kim than they have. I, that's been one of my uh, yelling points. I guess you would say this April, oh May now. Uh, so it's it's not exactly what I would have done. I I really wanted Fowler. I thought Fowler was the best fit. Uh, I was I was saddened by the wrestling swerve at the end when he ripped off the shirt and there was a Cubs jersey underneath and he and he hit the kid <laughs> with the chair in my
0: imagination. <laughs> you
2: know, talking about Kim. Wasn't it kind of odd how the, how the Orioles handled that whole situation, brought him in, spent, spent the money on him, and then kind of gave him, what, two weeks of spring training before apparently giving up on him?
3: Yeah, I, I'm not really a fan of how they play this at all. Uh, you look at the other teams that have brought in Korean players, you look at, at Park and Lee, and the teams actually seem interested in what they can do. Once Kansas didn't have a big, big spring, because, I mean, it's spring. People take spring stats way too seriously. I mean, you'd rather him hitting, rather him hitting 400 and slugging 800 or something. But it's, it shouldn't drastically change what you think about a player. If you liked Kim in March, you should still like him in April, no matter what happened in the spring. Uh, and really, since then, they, the, he's gotten so little playing time, it's almost like they're just disinterested by seeing what he could do. Because really the Orioles' playoff pass, involves their offense beating the crap out of the other team. That's, that's their essentially their win condition. It's not a team that's going to have an amazing rotation under any circumstance. And Kim is a player with upside. He may not hit it. He could be disappointing, but you have to see if he can hit that upside. And right now in left, I don't think Joey Ricard is just that interesting. I know he's a fan favorite, but Rickard is just not that exciting in left.
2: Yeah, it's almost like they're carrying two, two Rule of Five guys, isn't it, with Rickard and Kim?
3: Yeah, that's the problem. And I keep calling him Ricard because every time I think of Game of Thrones, I think of Ricard Kartstark. Uh I don't know <laughs> if you guys know the reference,
1: but I know it's I, I Ricard. Do. I keep saying Ricard, and I'm like, ugh. Let's, let's back up for just a second. Is there any situation under which you would consider putting Pedro Alvarez at third base uh, with, with the, now the Hardy injury and with the ability to maybe jumpstart his bats or is that completely a non-starter for you? Oh, the scenario in which I want to see Alvarez in the field would
3: involve, like, most of the team getting Legionnaire's disease or something,
1: and, like, there's <laughs> yeah.
3: nobody available. He's an atrocious defensive third baseman. He is somehow worse at first base, which 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 – really surprised me. I thought he could at least fake adequacy at first base, but he was, he was awful for the Pirates uh, at first. I don't want to see him in the field ever, essentially. Uh, and the scenarios in which he is in the field, then something
2: very bad has happened elsewhere. <laughs> I got a good one, you. Right? Who's a better fielder, Pedro Alvarez or Jesus Montero?
3: Montero.
2: <laughs> and I'm not he saying to, that to
3: be nice to anybody. That is damning with faint praise.
2: <laughs> he had to take an off season to learn how to run a couple of years ago.
3: Yeah, I mean that's like saying I'm in better shape than Bartolo Colon. It's like we have a very
2: <laughs> we have a
3: very s- low bar here. Uh, but no, hey. Alvarez is just an atrocious fielder.
1: Hey Dan, does does one Ryan deserve more playing time again? Just 41 plate appearances, but he's got 1,007 OPS. Do you think he deserves more playing time, or are we just kind of going through one of these small sample things where he's just on fire and then it's going to be put out pretty quickly? Well, he deserves at least a platoon role. I think he's good enough for that.
3: Uh, He's probably one of the hardest players to really get a, a good estimate of simply because he's bounced up and down to the minor so much, bounced back and forth through roles. But I think he's at least a good platoon player, and I don't think he'll kill you if he has to start full-time. Uh, I mean, he'd probably have an OPS plus in the 100 to 105 range full-time, and that's not good, but it's not replacement level. Uh, and as a role player, he has a significant amount of value. Uh, I, I do think that, that he has earned the platoon role. Uh, now, he doesn't have huge platoon splits in his career, but – Platoon splits aren't very predictive until you have a player with like a ton of playing time, and so you'd still expect mm-hmm. them in the long term to hit lefties better than righties.
1: Hey Dan, what does your schedule look like? How long can we keep
3: you? I you can keep me for as long. I, I'm I don't have anything specific in the next hour or so, so we can keep talking. <laughs> well, we
1: we roll <laughs> up to the top of the hour, so we'll keep you as long as we can, and we'll let you go when we're done with you. How does that sound? Okay, we'll go to the top of the hour.
2: <laughs>
1: Sounds good. So, okay, hypothetically, if this roster was completely healthy, uh, what, are, what are you doing in right field and first base with Mark Trumbull and Chris Davis? Do you prefer a flip-flop where Davis plays right and Trumbull plays first? Or, I mean, is, is there a real winning scenario there where you actually can, can make a, a market improvement?
3: I, if, if the players are into it, I, I would be in favor of a flip-flop. Uh, because, I mean, Davis is a good first baseman, but Trumbo can actually handle first base. He he was fine as a first baseman, and I think he can, Davis can probably handle the outfield better than uh, Trumbo uh, could. Uh, I think, actually, as long as you're going to play roster games, I'd rather have Chris Davis at third than Pedro Alvarez at third, easily. Uh, wow. I, I don't think that... I mean, he wasn't a good third baseman, but I think Pedro Alvarez is actually worse at third. Uh, so if if they don't like Flaherty and they start thinking, oh, maybe we'll start Pedro Alvarez at third. Then at that situation, okay, okay, you take Trumbo at first, you put Kim in the outfield, you put Davis at third, because that's still better than Pedro Alvarez at third.
2: So, Dan, with all this, you know, we talked a lot about the Orioles here, and, and they're on top of the AL East. What are the chances of this actually holding up?
3: Well, the, the thing about the American League is there's no great team in the American League. The White Sox are off to a great start, but they're not a great team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really at the beginning of the season, if you look at the projections I ran, there were 11 games between the top projected team and the worst and the lowest projected team, which was the, was it the age of the Twins. It was it was one of them, but it was like 11 games. So I don't, I don't want to talk a, about it. <laughs> 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 we'll say that for the other podcast. It, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We'll talk to different teams, go. but uh. But uh, the league isn't that great, so being in the lead or near the lead has more value than it normally does simply because you can count on nobody being significantly better than you. Uh, so in the American League, possession is kind of nine-tenths of the law, that, that old catchphrase, uh, in which having a lead is, is pretty big when everyone's kind of about the same. Uh, the Orioles have had a good start. They're a half game behind the Red Sox. And that's a good position. They have as good a shot at the division as any other team, uh, and better than some, because like the Yankees, uh, when you're six games behind, that's fine if you're a lot better than the rest of the division. When you're just as good as the rest of the division, being six games behind is a huge negative. Uh, So so the Orioles do have a pretty good shot at the postseason. Um, I posted updated Zip's playoff odds yesterday, didn't I? I, I have to think myself if I did it. <laughs> I'm like opening things like, did I or did I imagine this? Because I, I could have dreamt it. Like I had a dream last night that I threw 82 miles per hour, so that I replaced Jared Weaver in the Angels rotation.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm not even making that up. That's that's a
3: lateral right football.
2: there.
3: Yeah. Uh, I the,
1: oh, I actually did it
3: yesterday. Okay, I had the Orioles. Uh, with a 52% chance of playoffs, 32% 32% chance uh, for the division. Uh, and that's actually the fifth best, fourth best divisional odds of any of the teams in the AL right now, uh, behind Boston, the
1: White Sox, and the Mariners. Uh, so
3: you, you have to like the position they're in.
1: Yeah, I think it's an oil stand. You've got to appreciate that, especially knowing where, projections had them coming into the season well, we did talk about when you uh, prior to bringing you on the air about chris Tillman's start to the season too i'd like to get your read on that it seems like a guy who's really picked up steam 18 strikeouts over his last two starts are you are you buying what he's selling right now or are you just thinking this is a hot streak well the thing is changes in strikeout rate tend to stabilize very quickly if he
3: had a an er under three because he had say a Two ten batting average on balls in play. Then I'd say, uh, eh. But his peripherals are actually supporting his ERA number right now. So I'm very cautious I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic because it's not for sure that he's really a nine strikeout guy now. But it, it is right. an improvement that, that is significant um, because it's not just a bounce back. Uh, his fifth is like a run and a half lower than it ever has been before. Uh, so so it is a it is a good development so far, and it is a bit of good news for a rotation that needed some
2: good news because the rotation is not strong. What do you, uh, what do you think about Tillman, Tillman's home run rate is 2.9% right now. It's, it's uh, I'm, I'm sorry, home run to fly ball ratio, whereas career is 10.8. What do you think could, could be contributing to that being Tillman's so low right now?
3: It could be, but if you think about it, he's only, it's, He's essentially two home runs down from where he normally would be. You'd expect him to have allowed three home runs instead of one. He allows three home runs, Then his ERA is still like 3.20 or something. Uh, I'm, I'm doing that in my head, probably erroneously, but it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. He'll hit more home runs. He's not, I mean, he'll, He won't hit more home runs. He'll allow more home runs. His, his ERA will come up likely from, from 2.81 where it is now, but there's mm-hmm. a big stretch, there's a big space between 2.81 and not good. Uh, I think it's a a positive development. And, again, it's one that the O's had to have to be a really good team this season. They had to have one of those starters step forward a bit.
1: So through two starts, Kevin Galsman, after coming off the disabled list, again, 11 innings you can't read too much into it, 10 strikeouts, three walks, only one home run allowed, but has looked generally pretty good. Are you buying him as a number two or higher starter this year, or is he going to kind of fall back to the pack in, a, in an Orioles rotation that's a little bit weak? I think he could very well be a number two guy. He's, he's been one of my favorites,
3: and I, I've wanted to see some success from him. He's got the best stuff of anyone on the team, essentially. Uh, I, 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 I'm, it's, it's, it's a positive development, and I'm hoping that the Orioles' weakness at the rotation and his level of play is enough that we don't start seeing he has two bad starts and they start jerking him around for a year. Because I'm still furious about how he was used in 2015. Yeah, extremely disappointing. I mean, the, the way they were, I mean, after the 2014 season, after his half a year, he should have come into 2015 with a place in the rotation. Uh, but he didn't, and lesser players were given a much easier road to a rotation spot than he did. Uh, it, it it almost felt like some sort of weird senior, seniority play, and I, I I wasn't a fan of that. I thought it was it was it was closed minded thinking, and it wasn't really trying to get the best out of the team.
2: Well, given okay, let's say let's say Gasman is your number two, Tillman is your number one, Gardo eventually comes back. What do they do with this rotation? What do you think they they're, should do? They're
3: just trying to keep it together. I'm not a fan of Gallardo. Uh, he's become a very hittable picture in recent seasons. Uh, he he doesn't really – nobody worries about going against Gallardo anymore. His slider just doesn't really do much anymore. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of, of Gallardo. Or really, most of the rotation after the top couple – couple pictures. So I think the Orioles are just going to have to go with what they have, because I I don't see how they could add, like, the David Price acquisition that the Blue Jays made last year. I don't see what they have that they could make a trade like that. Uh, So maybe they pick up another number three starter later in the year to add depth, but I think that they are pretty much have what they're going to have, which is
1: unfortunate because that's probably what the biggest factor that would hold back the Orioles. Joe Sheehan last week was on the program and said that they just definitely did not need another arm like that. Uh, I think I think there's, there's a couple of different things you can go to there. It's possible to have too many similar guys, or, you know, if you have a lot of threes, you might get sick of those. But at the same time, too, you've got five spots to fill, and if someone can make you better, I think you have to consider that. Uh, so are, are you along the lines of thinking that maybe a number three type starter or even a lower-type starter, let's say uh, Ricky Nolasco or Tommy Malone, and again, I'm obviously leaning on my knowledge of the Twins, but if somebody like that can, can step in and be a number four, is that still going to move the needle for the Orioles, or do they really need to go get somebody like a, an, or maybe an Andrew Kashner, although I don't know how well he's regarded anymore either. Um, you know, What kind of move for you moves the needle for this team to the point where it actually makes sense to give up what's already from a limited stock of, of prospects? Well, see, that, that's kind of one of the problems of the
3: Orioles is because I don't think a number four guy really helps the team unless they start having a lot of injuries. I think they have plenty of number four guys. Uh, they just don't have a lot of top end of the rotation because, I mean, Tillman and Gosman are good, and they've both had excellent starts, uh, but you, you really see them going off matching up against David Price uh, in a playoff situation. Can you see them matching off against Jake Arrieta in the World Series or Corey Kluber in in uh, uh, on ALCS or something? Because uh, I, I don't. They match up really with the Royals rotation, but a lot of the other teams just are simply going to have a better rotation. And, again, you say, what can they trade for them? I don't think they can trade for a, a top pitcher. I think the only thing they can do is buy one in the offseason. I don't believe they have the assets, and that's a big problem because I think the Orioles, even if it makes sense to go for it now, I think they're constrained a bit. Uh, you look at their, their payroll, and they really had to spend all that money this off season just to get back to where they were last year, and that's a problem for the team, uh, and I think it's, it's what's really going to hold them back in the next few seasons uh, as we count down until
2: Manny Machado's free agency. Speaking of uh, problems in, with Oriole's space and speaking of a guy who maybe once was a, a major asset and it, it maybe isn't so much anymore is Dylan Bundy, we were talking about that problem earlier on the show. What do they do with Dylan Bundy? They can't. They're only really in a position where they can showcase him. With, you know, he's kind of buried in a deep bullpen. Uh, they can't send him down. You know, what, what's the play there? Do you think, Dan?
3: I don't know what they can do. I think that at some point they have to try him as a starter. And the thing is, the back of the Orioles' rotation isn't great. So if they can uh, see what he can do, maybe it, it's, it's worth exploring because one thing that Dylan Bundy still has is, even with all the disappointments due to injury, he still has upside. And upside is is very valuable, especially when you have a player who has – not a lot of service time, even even with the DL time. Uh, I think that it's in the Orioles' interest to try to see as much of Bundy as they can, uh, and they can say, "Well, he might he might not win games for us now, but really, Mike Wright's not going to win many more games for you either." Uh, so I think if they
2: have they have
1: to get him innings
2: somehow. I
1: think they, they, they kind of have to be married to him after spending a, a top five pick on him, though, don't you say? I mean. At this point, too, you'd be obviously selling very, very low on his potential future. I worry that a team with a really good pitching coach could get more out of him. Again, maybe it's that the, the mind is ruling and the body's un, unable. But uh, at this point, too, I just I feel like they might have to just run him into the ground from a, from a standpoint of not letting him go somewhere else and just blow up.
3: Yeah, I I really don't want him to go to the Cubs. I'm tired of the Cubs fixing Orioles pitchers. <laughs> It's a very frustrating thing I, I, I don't want to trade to the Cubs And then win a Cy Young award uh, While we get fourth outfielder Or something uh, I mean the Orioles farm system it's, it's not that good anymore And Dylan Bundy is one of the few places That has a lot of positive upside Now the chances that He hits that positive upside Are of course much lower than they were Say before 2013 But I think it's in the Orioles interest To see what they can get from him because what they
1: could get from him could be a big part of the Orioles' future. And uh, Fangraph's defensive numbers, which I know are much maligned and probably will get me smacked for even bring it up, say that the defense has been, uh, I believe, the fifth worst in baseball. But I've been assured by a number of people around the Orioles, uh, either Chris, the, the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life, or a number of other people, that it's supposed to be a good defensive team. Have you watched this team and thought that the defense was good? Or do you think Fangraphs is onto something by saying that it has not been great so far this season? Well, it, it can be both.
3: Uh, just, just like Adam Jones can have a poor, poor month and, and um, Lorenzo Cain can have a poor month, the defense can have a poor month. <laughs> and the, the, the problem with defense is it's hard to really put too much faith into small sample size defensive stats. Uh, for instance, Joey Rickard, uh, even if his very poor defensive numbers Aren't really all they all they tell us is he's probably not a great defensive player. They can't really tell us if he's really a, a zero or a negative five or a positive five over a season uh, because defensive numbers over short sample sizes do not have that kind of signal that they can provide. Uh, a good rule of thumb is that uh, you you take one year of of offensive numbers the same seriousness as three years of of defensive numbers. Uh, so essentially one month. Of, of offensive numbers has the same value as a, Oh, I'm getting that backwards. Sorry. The way I'm explaining this, I'm running on but really <laughs> think of one month of defensive numbers, the same way you would think of about eight games of offensive numbers. That that's the predictive value of defensive numbers for only a month. So it's not something to, to take too seriously. Uh, I think in the end, the players you expect to be good at defense will, will eventually put up good defensive numbers and the players that aren't won't. Uh, so it's, it's not something I would be overly concerned about. But here's the thing. Let's say we should be concerned about it. What exactly would they do at this point? I mean, Mark Trumbo is one of the sources of poor defensive numbers this year. What are you going to do? Are you going to release Alvarez and put him at DH? Uh, Adam right. Jones is like, a few below average, at least in the baseball info solutions. I don't have the fan graphs numbers in front of me. But, I mean, what are you going to do? you Are going to move on the right? Okay, who's the center fielder? It's not going to be Rickard. Uh, So, even if these defensive numbers were indicative of something concerning, there's something they could do about it. So, they might as well just wait.
1: All right, Dan, before I let you go, i got one last thing here. The Orioles right now are tied for second in baseball in weighted runs created plus. That's the Fangraphs metric at 116. They're tied with the Red Sox, the division mates, and the Pirates. And then there's the Cardinals ahead of them at 117. Do you get the sense that this offense can stay in the thick of things to threaten to be the best offense in baseball for a full season? They very well could. I
3: don't. I don't doubt the Orioles have a good offense. They put together a team that can hit, and it, and it can be better. Uh, you start to see more Cam and he, he starts and he works out. I mean, that's an even better offensive team. And that's, as I said, the Orioles' win condition. They need the bullpen to be good and the offense to beat the crap out of the opposing picture in order to, say, win 89 games and go to the playoffs. That's what they need because they're not going to get that value from the rotation. Uh, But it it is a very good offense, and it's really been an offense that's only been fueled by a couple really excellent starts. You can say, oh, Mark Trumbo's not going to – have a 170 OPS plus in in September. He'd be accurate. But also, I mean, Wieters hasn't hit. Jones hasn't hit. uh, Scope can hit with more power, and he's not going to be a 250 on base percentage guy. He's going to do better than that. So it it is a team that they should
1: be a top three in offense, at least in the American League. All right, Dan. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we had probably a laundry list of things we didn't get to, but we appreciate your time. Hopefully we can have you on again real soon. Thank you. Always fun guys. Thanks Dan. All right, Bob, that was Dan Zimborski, a very fun guest. And I thought he, thought he brought a lot of great things to light. I thought he did a good job too, of taking the points that we had made and, and kind of expounded on them with an expert's level of, uh, I guess expertise to, to double down on my own phrasing, but I, I really, really enjoyed having him on the air.
2: No, yeah, he's a great guest. Uh, and I suggest everyone check him out. I mean, if he can take my thoughts and actually present them in a, in a more clear, more sensible manner, then he's got to be good, right?
1: Yeah. For me, it's like, yeah, if I can't do it and somebody else can, that really discourages me. But at the same time, <laughs> good for him. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. I think it's D DZimborski. I'm probably messing that up. But you find him on ESPN. He does a uh, chat on Fangraphs every week, I think. Does some really great stuff with projections and um, some video game stuff too for ESPN. I know with Hearthstone and a number of different things. So very, very interesting guy to follow between cat pictures, video games, and baseball stuff on on Twitter. And, uh, you know, Bob, before I let you go, I did kind of unearth a funny fact of this, uh, this Orioles team. Are you, are you ready for it? I'm ready. The only team in the American League that has yet to hit a triple this season is your – very own Baltimore Orioles. Are you surprised by that?
2: <laughs> I, I am a little surprised about it. I mean, I know, I know that that park pro- is more of a doubles park than a triples park, but you figure at some point some outfielder would have fallen down and somebody would have lucked into a triple?
1: I posted on Twitter and somebody said that the closest anybody on this team has gotten to a triple was JJ J. Hardy of all people. And I, I know JJ Hardy's a great defensive shortstop. I watched him in Minnesota. Great defensive shortstop, but uh, he's got lead in his shoes. And so that he was the closest uh, just just tickled my my feathers a little bit. But, uh, yeah, this is an offense I suspect will hit a lot of homers and doubles, but not very many triples.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't think J.J. Hardy is going to be hitting triples anytime soon, unfortunately. But, you know, Uh, hopefully come come July he will, and hopefully he won't, won't be the first. All right, quickly, Bob, how
1: can we find you on Twitter?
2: Um, at B Harks, B H A R K S. Very simple, right. and uh, like I'm like I'm... sharks with a B. Exactly, the Harks. <laughs> All right,
1: guys. Well, I'm at Brandon underscore Warn, W A R N E. This has been the Warehouse. Join us next week for episode number four.